You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, thank you, Dr. Sims. He makes me sound a lot more interesting than I am, actually. Um, but on the topic of the urban hikes, um, this is a, a passion that I have that, that I started when I couldn't run marathons anymore because of an injury, and I started doing day-long 10, 12, 14-hour hikes of cities, um, and I've got to do them uh, all, over, all over the world. Um, if you'd like to see pictures on Instagram, Pinkston Urban Hiker, please follow me and look at those pictures. Um, yeah, so um, um, I was born and raised in West Africa in Cote d'Ivoire, an English Ivory Coast, uh, which gives me a very different childhood than most of you, I think. But my parents um, were from small towns in Arkansas. So my parents grew up with a, a biscuits and gravy grits kind of culture, um, which is familiar to you. So there's, there's a southernness to my home and to my culture. My parents grew up before the civil rights movement. Um, and there, uh, they grew up with segregation and this kind of rampant racism um, in their towns and they knew that was wrong um, as children. And as they grew in the Lord, and the Lord called them to be missionaries, and they met, um, they, they decided to um, take their family and go to West Africa and serve as missionaries. Um, six years later, I was born there in West Africa. So I'm the only one in my family who was actually born and, and lived my entire life until college in, in West Africa. And um, as a kid, I, I came to know the Lord. Um, I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed a savior. And um, I made a very um, sincere profession of faith in Christ. Um, in high school, I went to a Christian boarding school for missionaries. Now, this school was strict. Uh, boys and girls couldn't hold hands. Um, they, they monitored the music we listened to and um, the movies we watched. Um, and, and, you know, we, you had to get your hair cut short and couldn't have earrings and all these kind of things. Um, certainly couldn't have tattoos. And I say that because I have a, a full sleeve um, now that, that I would not have been allowed to have um, there at boarding school. But it was not a bad experience. Um, I grew in the Lord, and um, I had really good mentors. And these mentors um, modeled for me loving the Lord, serving the Lord, loving your wife, loving your children, um, giving, uh, giving time to your family um, in, in a spirit of worship. And they also saw in me musical talent. It wasn't I don't know what they saw because I wasn't very talented at the time. I mean, I didn't have much skill to show for it. But they, they, they nurtured me in my musical abilities and plugged me into opportunities to serve in ministry um, at my school and, and in African churches around the school. But I, something that, I, that was part of this culture, this missionary culture, that was kind of a negative thing was there was kind of a hierarchy of calling. So missionaries were kind of like the top, and then preachers or, or evangelists were the next, and, and you know, worship leaders were, were next. And so there was this idea that if you had a talent, like when they saw my musical talent, the assumption was, well, then you're going to play music in church. Like, you have music, you should play in church. There was this kind of obvious connection. Um, and there was a hierarchy. But as I've, and no one thought, well, you might be a jazz musician or an opera singer or a classical musician or play in a punk band. Like, no one thought, they just thought, you, you can play guitar, you're going to play worship music. Now, praise the Lord, I have played worship music for the last 30 years, and I love doing it. Um, but I've also got to play jazz and heavy metal and classical and all kinds of other kinds of music um, in the professional scene um, outside the church, and I, I consider that a ministry and a way to honor the Lord as much as anything we do in the church. So, 
I have a take. I'm going to have uh, four takeaways for you, or maybe three um, today. And the first one is, you can serve the kingdom of God in any vocation, any gifting, any situation, and any passion. Right? Um, everything that about you that you're good at, that you care about, God can use. So I just want to encourage you that it doesn't matter what major you're in. It doesn't matter what vocation you go to. Now, if you become a, a missionary or a preacher or a worship leader, that's great. And if God's calling you to that, fantastic. But I just want to encourage you, if, you, if you're a stay-at-home dad, if you're a school teacher, um, if you work for a TV station, uh, whatever it is that God leads you to in different seasons of your life, consider those holy vocations, right? Consider those um, opportunities to serve the kingdom and to worship the Lord. Okay, that's takeaway number one. I'll probably try to review that later. Um, so then I went to college, came to Arkansas. That's a little bit of a culture shock for a, a kid from Africa. Um, and I went to a, a Christian college very much like Asbury. I mean, it, it really reminds me of Asbury. We had a um, required chapel. It was assigned seating by alphabet. And um, so, you, you know, you had to go to chapel and everything. I'm just going to tell you a little story about, about chapel. Um, this is just a good thing. My wife's maiden name starts with a P as well, so we got to sit near each other in chapel, alphabetical seating, and that's kind of how we got to know each other. You know, I'd see her at chapel and say hi and this and that. So all I'm saying is chapel can have some very good consequences for you. Um, something about me that I did not realize when I went to college was that I was an, I'm an introvert, and I need time alone, but I was not self-actualized enough to know that. So I started watching the guys in the dorm around me, and they would, they would all watch Foot, uh, baseball or football in the lobby together. They would all go as a herd to the cafeteria. They would go to all the social things on campus. And I, and I just didn't feel like doing that stuff. And I thought something was wrong with me. Like the first two years of college, I really wondered, do I need to see a counselor? Do, I mean, do I need to see a psychologist? What's, why am I not doing all the things that all the other people on campus are doing? But of course, uh, with some education and some time, I've realized I'm not, I'm not wired that way. I don't need to be in a herd or a large group of people. People wear me out. I mean, I love people, but I, but I need time alone. Um, Dr. Simmons mentioned my urban hiking. Most of those urban hikes, I've been alone for 12 hours walking a city, happy as can be. Um, so the takeaway from that for you, and, and what I didn't know going in college was I didn't know myself. I did not understand my personality. So the takeaway that I have for you is Know yourself. Get to know yourself. And, that, and that's an ongoing process. Don't you, know, don't know yourself now and then at 30, you know, assume that you are who you are at age 20. But get to know yourself. Secondly, give yourself grace. We're not all perfect. We all make mistakes, right? Um, we all sin. There are things that we're not good at. Give, so know yourself. Give yourself grace. And third, be yourself. Be yourself. It's okay to be who you are with the personality you have. Um, a couple other things about, about my college years that I think are important. Um, just some advice that I'd give you looking back. I, I played it really safe in college. I studied enough to make good grades, but there were some classes, you know those, you know those classes you have to take either they're in your foundations or whatever, and you're like, eh, you know, you, you want to pass the class, but you're not, you don't care about it that much. Um, I played it really safe in that regard, and I also didn't have as much fun as I could have. I played it safe there. People were like, hey, you want to go this Friday to a U2 concert in Dallas? And I'd be like, uh, it's kind of expensive. And in hindsight, I'm like, oh, you know, why didn't I go to Taco Bell at 3 a.m. When, when I was asked to? So what I'm saying is, uh, if I could do college again, I would study harder and learn everything. Learn 
everything you have an opportunity to learn, but I would also play a lot more. I would have a lot more fun. So my advice to you is, of course, in a safe, mature, legal way, right? But uh, my advice to you is take every opportunity to learn and work really hard at, at, your, at your schoolwork, but also uh, go out of your way to be crazy and to have fun. The third thing that, that I want to talk about from my college years, but really applies to all of us at any stage, is what are the stories we are telling ourselves about ourselves? What are the stories we are telling ourselves about ourselves? And I, I think there are stories that, um, that we think about ourselves, or maybe we think about the world or about reality, that um, you know, 10 years later you go, oh, that's not true, um, but it influenced how I spent my time. It influenced who I hung out with um, and, and who, how I thought about the world or even what my vocation or whatever. So, uh, so think very deeply about the stories you tell yourself. Now, I'm going to give you an example. This is not a very important example, but it's, but it's, it's, not, a, it's not one of those major things. But when I started college, uh, growing up, I was not, never good at team sports. Matter of fact, I played on the high school basketball team, and I have a, a team record. I'm a record holder. I am the only person to have never scored a point while on the varsity basketball team. I was not good at team sports. And so the story I told myself was I was not athletic, right? I like to run, um, but I never tried. I never tried to get faster. I never tried to enter races. Um, and there, I had friends who were on the cross country team in college and I, I would tell them, well, you know, I'm just not that athletic. But then in my 30s, I started running seriously and, and, and running really fast marathons and, and fast 10Ks and all kind of things. Um, and, and the Ironman that, Dr. Sims mentioned, and realized I can do, not all sports obviously, but I, I can do athletic things, and I can get better at them if I try. And if I had known that or believed that about myself at age 20 or at age 18, I could have been a much better runner um, much earlier on in, in my life. That's, that's not a life or death situation. But I'm telling you, all of us have stories we tell ourselves um, and so search your heart and search your soul and, and find out what those stories are and, um, and, and how they may be influencing everything about you, um, what you're studying, who you hang out with, how you spend your time. Um, you may need to go to an expert and say, is this story I'm telling about myself right? You may need to go to a friend or a family member and, and ask them um, for hard, honest feedback about what you think about yourself and is that what others think about you? So that's, that's another piece of advice I have for you. So takeaway number one, you can serve the kingdom of God in any vocation. And number two, get to know yourself and give yourself grace and be yourself. After college, got married and um, went to grad school. Uh, my wife and I went to Texas um, for grad school and spent seven years there for a master's and a, and a doctorate uh, there. And... Um, then um, we moved um, to California, where I started teaching at a Christian university, and um, we very soon had uh, our first child and, and, and followed after that with our second daughter, um, and um, started on a vocation of being a university professor. And I, I, every day, I am grateful for the privilege of uh, being with students. Um, I learn as much from you students as, as I'm sure you do from me as a professor, um, and it's just been a great journey. And this is my first semester at Asbury. I mean, after 20 years of teaching in California, um, 
we we left in July and uh, um, got here. I think July 30 or 30 31. We have not been here that long, but but we really love it here. And um, I think Asbury is a really special place. So um, as someone who's been on uh, 50 different college campuses, um, I want you to know that this is not a place to to take for granted. Um, enjoy all the things that Asbury has to offer. Um, over the last 20 years, as I mentioned earlier, I've been able to do many different uh, musical activities. I've written symphonies and I've traveled, um, had my music performed in, in Juneau, Alaska, and Helsinki, Finland, and Boston, and Kansas City, and El Paso, and Tucson, and San Jose, and LA, and, and I've been able to travel all over with performances of classical music, um, which has been a real honor. Um, and I've played in a blues band, um, a punk band, uh, you know, hard rock bands, uh, and I've led worship at a local church um, for the last 20 years, um, and um, and have taught music and worship arts. And so there's this rich and diverse kind of musical involvement um, that I've gotten gotten to have, which um, I'm, I'm very thankful for. Um, but it all comes back, of course, to the word worship, and and I'm professor of worship arts. So I figured maybe I should say a couple of things about, about worship. Um, we use the word worship in our church culture very much, very often as an adjective, right? Worship band, worship leader, worship song, and, and it goes on, right? Worship music, I mean, people use it in that term. Um, that's, that's an adjective. But I would like to remind you and reframe the word worship as a verb. Worship is something that we do. It's something that I do. And, and at its root, um, the word worship um, has, in English, um, a root that implies ascribing worth or giving value to something, right? So we all value things. We all worship things. And in some sense, everyone, regardless of religion or belief, worships something, right? Whatever they pursue with value in their life. There's also a meaning of the word worship that comes from Hebrew, which is to bow down, right? To honor God, to honor something greater than us. Um, and I think both of those meanings, um, to value as a verb and to bow down as a verb, are very important um, in worship. And like I said, remember I said earlier, every gifting, every ability you have is useful to the kingdom of God. Uh, I think every ability you have, every situation you're in is an opportunity to worship, right? How you live your life is worship. It's, so worship is not a style of music. It is not um, what we do in the 20 minutes before someone speaks at chapel or, or church. Worship is how we live our lives. But of course, um, the question then comes up, then why do we use the arts in our, in our churches and in our gatherings and, and call it worship? And um, I think, for me, this comes back to humanity being created in the image of God. Right? God is a God of creativity and a God of art and a God of beauty. Right? From the beauty of nature to the beauty of the face of someone that you're in love with. Right? To the beauty of your baby when it's born. To the beauty of a symphony and, and, and painting, architecture, cathedrals. Um, there, there's, there's beauty all around us. Right? And, and so that points to um, God, the creator. And, and, and so something God has put in us as humanity, of, of all religions and all nations and, and all tribes, is to create art. There's an impulse to express ourselves through the arts. And, and so I think that explains 
one of the reasons why the church has been drawn to, to the arts. The arts give us a way to express um, ourselves in a way that's deeper than words can do, right? There, there, we have impulses um, and feelings and beliefs that our words uh, fall short of and the arts um, can, can express. And then, and then among the arts, why music? Why has music been so important to the church and why is it so important to me? Um, because, I mean, in different periods of church history, you know, architecture might have been more important, but music has been a constant uh, in the church and has been a constant in moments of renewal and revival in the church in, in different cultures and in different time periods. Um, I think that music, even, I mean, as much as the other arts, gives uh, voice to feelings beyond words, and I think that's really important. But also, you know, singing these hymns this morning, um, music allows us to join in together as a group and sing theological and spiritual truth. I love ballet and I love dance, but I'm not skilled at it in a way that I could join in and dance and worship in a way that wouldn't be embarrassing. But uh, a song we can all sing together regardless of musical ability. And I think that's one of the reasons why, why music has been so important in, in the history of the church. Um, takeaway number three for you is that you need to be, or please be, be artistic. Be creative. I'm not saying you have to play guitar. I'm not saying you have to write a symphony. Although if you do, that's great. I believe that every single one of us is creative. Whether you're an athlete or a musician or a writer or a filmmaker or a poet or a dancer um, or a thinker, we are all creator, creative because we are made in the image of our, of our creator. And I think in our society, we sort of um, labeled people, well, I'm an, I'm an artsy person and I'm an athletic person and I'm an intellectual person, right? And we forget that all of us have creativity. So what I'm saying is don't limit yourself as you, as you continue to grow and evolve in your life, but explore your own create creativity. Um, on further, um, support the arts. You know, when you get that big promotion and you're making a lot of money, um, give money to your local arts agencies. Support uh, art galleries and the symphony and um, uh, middle school rap programs that encourage creativity in, in kids. Um, do what you can to support the arts in your life. You will be enriched if you, if you attend um, artistic events and become more involved in the arts. Um, as a musician, I'd like to ask you and encourage you to like new styles of music. And I, and I like to compare music to food. I'm, I'm pretty sure that most of you like more than one kind of food right? Uh, you probably all like pizza, most of you, um, and you might like burgers, but I'm assuming that some of you like Thai food and Mexican food and sushi, and, and the list goes on, right? I, I love Greek food and Ethiopian food, um, but I, one time I asked my, parent, my grandparents, I said, hey, can we go to this Mexican restaurant that just opened in your town? And they said, no, we tried Mexican food back in 1968, and we didn't like it. And so I realized that my grandparents were eating one kind of food, day after day, week after week, year after year. And they were keeping themselves 
from the treasures of Mexican cuisine and Thai cuisine and sushi and all these other things that, I, that I'd come to love. And people do this with music as well. There are people who say, I listen to country and maybe something else. People say, I listen to rap and maybe something else. But there are so many kinds of music out there. There are so many kinds of expression in music. If you need examples of other kinds of music to explore, come by my office. My office is right outside this door in the back corner. Um, come by my office and I'll suggest some wacky weird music for you to listen to. Uh, what I'm saying is expand your palate. Expand your palate. You can do this on this campus. I mean, we have, well, I mean, maybe not because of COVID, but in a normal year, we have orchestra and choir concerts. We have events on campus, plays, um, and, and all kinds of things that are artistic um, that you can go to and expand your palate. And now's a good time to do that um, before you get busy with uh, full-time work and, and a family and all those things. So the takeaways, you can serve the kingdom in any vocation, get to know yourself, and be artistic, and be artistic. Um, I'm going to close today reading you a prayer. It's kind of a hard shift here from my story um, to a prayer that I heard a couple of weeks ago um, that I found really powerful and important at this moment in our culture. Um, this prayer was written by, uh, based on the Lord's Prayer. So the, the framework for this prayer is the prayer that Jesus um, provided his disciples as an example. Um, but the prayer was, was written by a pastor in uh, Colorado, Nadia Bolt Weber, at a Lutheran church. Um, and I'm going to close with this prayer, and then um, we have another song, right? Okay. So this is, again, modeled on, on the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, our Mother, our Holy Parent, the source of all being from whom we came and to whom we return, you who knows us better than we know ourselves, Jesus called you Abba, and so shall we, even as we may have an ambiguous relationship with parenthood. Be to us our holy parent, the one who loves without condition, who art in heaven, our father who art in everything, our father who art in orphanages and neonatal units and jail cells and luxury high-rises, who art in law offices and adult bookstores and in rooms alone with suicidal people. Our Father, who art in the halls of Congress and the halls of tenements, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Ever since the beginning, we have attributed our own sin and ego and wishful thinking and greed and malice and racism and ambition and manipulation to you and to your name. And yet, your name remains holy. We print in God we trust on the U.S. dollar, and then we worship that dollar and the power that dollar brings us, and yet your name remains holy. Thy kingdom come. God, right now we beg you to bring more than just a small measure of heaven to earth because if you haven't noticed, we're in the middle of a global pandemic and millions are sick and dying, not to mention the earth is on fire. It's a mess down here, Lord, so we need your kingdom to speed the hell up. We need wise leaders and just systems and an extra dose of compassion for all of us. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will and not ours be done. Forgive us when we use prayer as a self-help technique, 
by which we can get all the cash and prizes we want out of your divine vending machine if we just kind of bug you to death through ceaseless prayer. Because when it comes down to it, we know better. You are our Father, whose name is holy, and your love is boundless, and you want, as our holy parent, to hear our prayers. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread, our daily naan, our daily tortillas, our daily rice. Lord, give us real bread, even when we keep reaching for those literal and metaphorical Krispy Kremes. Give us the gift of enoughness. May our response to perceived scarcity always be increased generosity. For we are your children, and from you we receive everything. Give us today our desire for the neighbor to be fed. Give us today a desire for a good that is held in common. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us when we hate what you love. Forgive us when we would rather anesthetize ourselves than feel anything. Forgive us for how much we resent in others the things we hate in ourselves. Forgive us for the terrible things we think about our own bodies, bodies you have made in your image. Forgive us for thinking we know the hearts of our enemies. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the inclination that we too do not have evil in our hearts. Deliver us from religious and national exceptionalism. Deliver us from addiction and depression. Deliver us from self-loathing. Deliver us from self-righteousness. Deliver us from high fructose corn syrup. Deliver us from a complete lack of imagination about where you are in our lives and how you might already be showing up. I'm going to repeat that one. Deliver us from a complete lack of imagination about where you are in our lives and where you are already showing up. Deliver us from complacency and deliver us from complicity. As Jesus taught us, we are throwing this bag of prayers at your door. We are not asking nicely, Lord. We are your children and we are claiming your promises as our own today. Some of us are holding your feet to the fire. Some of us don't know if we believe in you. Some of us are distracted and going through the motions. Some are desperately in love with you. But all of us are your children. Use these prayers to hammer us into the vessels that can accept the answer when it comes. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And the children of all God all say, Amen.